Good day. This is uh, July 14th, year 2005, and uh, again, we have the Ontolog invited speaker presentation today. Uh, we are honored to have Mr. Anders W. Tell from Business Collaboration Toolsmiths AB. Uh, it's Swede, there's a company in Sweden who will be presenting to the community. His talk is entitled The Maturity of Business Ontologies and the Rate of Adoption, uh, Examples and Challenges from the Domain of E-Commerce and Electronic Business Collaboration. Uh, Mr. Anders Tell is a consultant specialized in enterprise information systems architectures and business collaborations from an integrated point of view. Uh, assignments range from project management, senior advisory roles for banks, finance, government sectors to research projects, uh, reviews for the EU Commission. Uh, Anders has academic background in mathematics and economics, and his recent research activities are in the domain of business collaborations, information systems, and jurisprudence. Uh, together with the Royal Institute of Technology, KHT, and Stockholm University, Anders has organized the Open EPXML Laboratory and number of research activities and workshops. Uh, special interest, again, includes business collaboration with a legal twist. Uh, Anders is currently involved in standardization in relation to e-commerce and trade facilitation primarily under the auspices of uh, the UNC fact. Uh, this, as the Swedish delegate, uh, and this currently holds management position in UNC fact, such as the vice chair of the Technique and Methodologies Group, the chair of UNC fact architect group, and the project team lead for the unified business agreement and, pro and contract project of TMG and legal groups of UNC fact. Uh, and there's this a member or an invited expert in industry organizations such as W3C and OASIS. And previous standardization activities includes Network Management Forum and also the OMG. So without much ado, uh, oh, maybe before that, uh, let us go around and have everyone introduce themselves. I oh, I forgot to introduce myself. I'm Peter Yim, uh, one of the co-conveners of the Ontolog Forum, uh, uh, in, in addition to Kurt Conrad and Leo Oberst. And, uh, I, I am also uh, CEO of CIM3, uh, the company that hosts uh, distributed collaboration for various uh, communities of practice and distributed project teams. Okay, uh, I'll go down the list. Uh, Kurt? Uh, greetings, everybody. My name is Kurt Conrad. I'm an independent consultant in the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, tentatively focused in the area of information policy. Kick um, me in here. Look, looking forward to hearing Andres talk about what he's been up to lately. Thanks. Bye-bye. Uh, Dwayne Nichol, uh, Senior Standards Strategist for Adobe, involved in many uh, of the UNC FAC standards as well, and definitely echo, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, Andres speak today. Bill? 
Uh, Bill McCarthy, a professor of accounting and information systems at Michigan State University, and I'm looking forward to hearing AWT talk today. Great. Bob. Bob Smith, uh, intrigued with the maturity of ontologies. And Fantastic. Did anyone join us uh, since? Have we gone through everyone who's online so far? Okay, uh, before I pass it over to uh, Anders, uh, I also want to acknowledge uh, Toy Nicole, who was the first to suggest that we invite Anders over to make the presentation today. So thank you, Dwayne. And Anders, it's all yours. Okay, hello everybody. And I also would like to thank Dwayne for giving me this uh, opportunity and Peter for arranging all the details and presentations and the VNC, etc. And I hope I can uh, operate all the, this uh, machine today. Um, I made a presentation in actually two parts. There is uh, um, PowerPoint slides, which are 31 in size, and there was an, uh, a PDF presentation which uh, contains 46 pages. So a lot of the uh, background information I put into the PDF file. So if you look at the, present, uh, the PowerPoint, you will see that it's, uh, in some cases, uh, one-liners. Uh, and if you want to look at the background, please uh, pick up the PDF, and you will see a little bit more examples, more questions, and, and uh, more substance uh, to, to uh, some of the information in this presentation. And for, for those who don't realize it, uh, both uh, sets of slides are available from the Wiki session page already. Sorry, Antis. Um, the first set of uh, slides, I think it's 14, number 14 slides, are basically background information. They are aimed at being scoping uh, um, pages. Uh, and I suggest that you hold off a, a few questions regarding the first 14 slides until we get the end of the, the, the introduction. Uh, a lot of the slides are very detailed in nature and, and intended as uh, View, for viewing uh, afterwards, and they con contain a lot of concepts, and I know there are huge areas of research behind the, each individual concept on each individual page, so I suggest uh, you wait with um, the initial set of uh, questions until after the 14th, and then the rest of the slides are the core of today's uh, uh, presentation, where I try to bring up a few interesting uh, points, and maybe to a few of you could be uh, new points. Uh, new issues to, to uh, consider in, in the realm of uh, electronic business uh, collaborations. So I'm turning page now from initial uh, opening page to the, uh, let's see the agenda. It's actually the starting point and scope. Uh, So what we'll do today first is initially try to map out the business and business collaboration domain and give a few context to uh, the final points I will discuss a little bit later on. I will also discuss this in the realm of something I call the T-architecture. It's basically a very simple classification mechanism to classify different types of ontologies and different types of uh, techniques in four uh, different areas. and that will sort of form the initial background, and then go into more detailed uh, aspects. Um, and I will try to focus on, on a few particular points. Uh, the, the business collaboration domain is 
large uh, topics, and I will focus on a few final points that deals with uh, the question of what is actually uh, business. And I will conclude with a few examples of current activities that actually try to focus on these uh, final points and, and try to find uh, better solutions uh, than uh, exist uh, today. Next slide, the starting point and uh, scope. Uh, in the title, I also mentioned the word maturity. And uh, during the presentation, I will try to touch the subject of, of uh, the maturity of uh, existing uh, techniques, methodologies, uh, etc. But also mention a little bit about how these techniques and methodologies are actually used. And also the uh, maturity of the uses of such uh, uh, techniques and uh, principles, uh, etc. And try to scope out where are we today and, and are there more things to do, etc. And one particular interesting point for me is um, the emergence of a large number of technologies which uh, uses the term business in the name or inside the uh, uh, specifications, etc. And one interesting point is, is there a difference between a business technology or a technology that could be used for, for business? And I think uh, there are some differences in, in different types of, of ways of approaching the problem that uh, could uh, be used as a differentiator between different types of technologies uh, in a way to actually classify certain uh, approaches more business-oriented than, than others. And the... Uh, term or, or the uh, middle point is that we will focus on business as this technology is a technology that specifically consider changes which is key or changes in social and business and legal uh, relations so if a technology doesn't explicitly uh, deal with issues of change in, in economic relations uh, if it does, does not uh, specifically deal with legal relations it will be classified as not being a business technology. It's a very simple but uh, uh, maybe not an obvious uh, uh, distinction. And I will talk a little bit more on the subject uh, later on uh, in the presentation. In the presentation, I've been uh, basing uh, a number of the reasoning on, on a number of guiding principles. Uh, in there, I've got three different uh, viewpoints, business, legal, and uh, technical. And the interest, interest I have is actually try to merge all these uh, three, three different viewpoints in, into a, an integrated architecture and also integrate that together with the implementation. Sort of a holistic try uh, attempt. And the approach is also based on, on uh, reasoning around small and medium-sized enterprises and, and also micro-companies. So some of the things which I will not consider is, is uh, maybe more easier for, for large companies in terms of available resources, etc. Another uh, question I got in, in uh, a recent seminar for proactive law when I made a presentation on standardization, and it was also something I raised from, from a district court judge, and he had a very interesting uh, way of looking at what actually constitutes a good business and uh, legal technology. And his view was that, can you really show this to a district court judge? And that was his, his uh, major point. Uh, if it, you can't show this and explain this to, to a normal district court judge, then you probably have made the wrong choices in your uh, technology. 
I'm also very interested in, in the widespread adoption. And uh, maybe another word is uh, that you're uh, doing more with less for the benefit of, of the many. Sometimes you can find a lot of technologies rather uh, complicated and un unnecessarily complicated. And a business decision uh, may render them a little bit too, too costly. And the final guiding principle for, for this talk is uh, what I call the harmonization and standardization uh, pyramid, which consists of uh, the three uh, sides, which is the uh, technology, IT, the business, and the legal perspectives. And at the top, we have standardization. It's sort of a maturity uh, pyramid. But it also has a number of steps. Uh, before you attempt standardization, you can actually try to go through a number of different phases. I mean, there are many different variations of, of maturity um, stages, etc. This one basically says before standardization, it could be rather beneficial for, for an organization, industry, otherwise, to actually work with harmonization. And they maybe that, that's the thing they should focus on on a particular point in time. The step before that uh, called transparency, and that's basically uh, disseminate information so everybody knows about the pros and cons, the different alternatives, different ways of, of doing things. And if that's maybe something you have to do before you actually do harmonization. And, and, uh, so this forms uh, uh, steps you can, can build on until you go up to the more and more uh, strict uh, standardization steps. So these are the principles for this uh, presentation. So now we'll go through fairly quickly the first uh, uh, 14 slides or remaining 11 slides. So please hold your questions until uh, I'll finish with the, the introduction. Uh, next slide, number four. from Professor Paul Johannesson in, in Stockholm. It's uh, sort of a diagram that uh, displays a trend in internet uh, or e-commerce uh, technologies from brochureware through business-to-consumer e-commerce websites, uh, marketplaces, etc., to uh, collaboration. Just to show that there is uh, more you can do with the electronic tool. And, and today we are deep into uh, the realm of electronic uh, collaboration. Uh, Companies working together uh, quite uh, intensely using electronic means. Next slide. And my also focus on on the area or includes the um, topics such as international supply chains uh, with legal boundaries. Uh, the first uh, diagram uh, on page five is something from uh, Paul Harmon from VP Trends. It's kind of interesting diagram. shows you uh, a lot of companies working together with information products, etc., flowing back and forth. And I've included a red uh, line there called legal boundary. And this is one of the th those things that uh, make it a little bit complicated for uh, a, lo a lot of technologies that you have uh, legal boundaries. It's not just you can send the information from point A to point B. You have to consider what it actually means sending this particular information and who is the other person on the other side or co a company. Um, 
I also would like to include the rather complicated uh, standardization landscape. I included a number of uh, different types of organizations, all the way up from uh, global government organization uh, down to individual persons. And this is the pressure that uh, companies are within. Uh, they can see that there are standards basically all over the place, and they work in an environment where they have a number of interesting organizations. They are, some of them are large dominating organizations from business point of view, industry organizations, there are different service providers, IT companies, uh, etc. Even large companies have internal organizational units which could actually influence uh, what they're doing. And it's rather interesting to uh, be aware of this rather large uh, uh, landscape. The next slide, number six. It introduces the uh, T architecture. It's in the down, uh, bottom uh, left uh, uh, corner. A bit too quick there. It, it's a small extension of uh, the uh, principles that uh, is quite often used in, in um, when you build the IT systems, it's a three-layer architecture. I've added an extra um, block here, it's the integration or collaboration layer. So basically it forms the foundation for a very simple uh, communicative and collaborative uh, system. It basically says that in the middle you have some form of business logic uh, and in order to work in an environment you need to collaborate and you can collaborate to the left and to the right. To the right means collaboration with uh, humans uh, through different forms of, of uh, paper and, and the user interface reports, uh, etc. The other uh, communicative aspect is communication with uh, um, systems, which is slightly different, uh, similar, but uh, it, it's different. And the bottom part, you also need to store things uh, in between, uh, and you need to uh, use things for, for future uh, reference. Very simple one. And uh, in the upper uh, right corner, I made a very simple uh, diagram over ontologies. If you take out of these four uh, uh, blocks and put uh, different types of ontologies, uh, you can see that for in this diagram, I put in uh, uh, platform uh, independent and platform specific, which is sort of the way that OMG uh, works. So in principle, for each concept, you may end up in a lot of different uh, uh, ontologies. So for each uh, concept, if you go from left to right, for example, for a customer, you need to train and educate the people who work in, in the business systems in, in a very broad sense. And they will form a mental model. And in the workplace, they will use some external speech, body language, etc., to actually communicate that. So in that case, you have to... Uh, two different ways you can express the concepts. And if you follow that principle, there are at least two uh, different ways of, of uh, presenting the user. You can filter the information, you can present it with colors, etc. So uh, you use your um, Java service pages, for example, to, to present it. On the other side, you use the same thing for collaborating with um, uh, IT systems. You have some kind of conceptual model and you have some physical model, for example, in, in XML. And at the bottom page, you have storage. You can have some logical conceptual model, and you have a physical database model. In the middle, you can work with uh, 
some form of ontology language, but you have to implement it, and you may end up using Enterprise Java Beans. And if you count how many ways you have to work, for example, with the customers, you may end up with up to 18 different small variations. In some cases, the variations are small. In some cases, the variations are, are large. For example, in the database, you may have a mapping between um, a object-oriented way of working with uh, enterprise objects, but you have a, a relational database. You have to do certain mappings. And it shows you that uh, in, in uh, the micro perspective, there's a lot of different ways of working with one single uh, concept. So moving to the next uh, slide, number seven. If you look at uh, one part of the communicative uh, system and look at the user interface or the presentation for human, and we have been using this for a large number of years now, and there's a lot of uh, different uh, ways of communicating. Still, paper is the number one conveyor of information between uh, humans. We can see that there's a lot of technical solutions, and, and there's uh, quite a few of them, and, and a lot of people work with that for, for, for a living. So in, in a way, you can see this as a very mature area. Uh, there's a lot of knowledge, a lot of experience, a lot of people. Uh, there's a lot of business models, uh, which means you can take your, your company up the maturity ladder and repeat the successes and, and even optimize your processes in, in doing this. There's also a lot of vendor available, uh, consultants and, and those who provide uh, commercial off-the-shelf uh, software. There are a few weaknesses still here. Uh, some of them have to do with the uh, legal area. There's still a number of issues of, of marketing through uh, internet, especially if you work with uh, cross-country marketing. And there's reason for it to be, be uh, rather cautious in this area and really explore to which market do you put up a certain uh, web page. Uh, there's also, if you talk about communication with the humans, a fairly few adopted dialogue scenario or uh, scene type of uh, languages. Uh, most of the communications with users are, are based on uh, uh, programming um, tools or uh, software uh, techniques. But this is actually quite possible to using iconic languages uh, to devise different types of scene sort of a storyboard uh, way of, of working. And if I would pick something I would like to, to see being developed from, uh, for, uh, for the presentation for humans is a sort of a visual communication language where you actually focus on what is actually conveying semantics to persons. And by that I mean, for example, in, in legal contracts you would like to put emphasis on a certain word, which means the communication would be emphasis and not using a bold or, or a larger font or something else. So there is uh, something missing here when you would like to work with trustworthy translations uh, from electronic media into to use a presentation and just focus on, on the uh, visual semantics and not focus on, on uh, colors and, and the line width, uh, etc. So it's all in all, it's a fairly mature uh, area. Next slide. Number eight. An example of uh, what has been done in Sweden is called the legal user interface. Uh, it's used by the Swedish government. What they have done is actually they have tried to 
make a small standard for how to sign documents, send and sign documents. So they created a web interface standard with icons, icons, etc., in order to increase the understanding for users. So they created, so say, a legal user interface, and it works quite uh, quite nice. There are ways to actually can standardize the user interactions in a way that uh, a normal person can actually uh, do business in a more secure, trusted way with a with computer. Unfortunately, this uh, type of, of legal user interfaces has some vulnerabilities uh, with respect to certain statistical recognition attacks, uh, which means you can actually use uh, the logotype of certain things in order to trick and fool the users. So the recognition effect, which is actually beneficial for most, could actually be used uh, in, in a negative way. And you have seen that in, in terms of phishing uh, attacks, for example. You get an uh, email from a bank asking for, for your password, and they are using the right fonts and the right uh, visual communication language that the bank normally uses. Uh, a short example. Uh, next slide, number 10, uh, storage area. Another mature uh, area, we have had databases for quite some time uh, that could uh, store different things. Uh, in the first sentence, I used another term, which is more of a legal way of looking at storage. Uh, quite often in the legal literature, they talk about storable or more often retainable or accessible for future reference. So they're using that type of, of verbiage instead of uh, talking about persistence. So accessible for future reference is sort of a key. Um, one particular interesting thing is for, for um, e-business is the archiving uh, domain, um, where we have regulatory compliance, preservation of evidence, uh, etc. And there are a lot of concerns nowadays uh, with the problem of uh, the fast technology evolution, which creates new different ways of storing uh, information, we create new sets of, of uh, medias. Uh, we have one of the latest is RFID. You can store information which in uh, small chips that doesn't require any electricity, for example. So that is one of the uh, one of the bigger problems. Um, so if something should be picked out as missing in this area, that's the principle for long-term storage. How to work with readability? How to work with cross? Uh, media, references, uh, uh, etc. Otherwise, a very mature area. Next slide. Number 10. <coughs> uh, the next block, the middle block, uh, the uh, business area, and um, I will, as I mentioned, I will focus on electronic collaboration, so I will just put up a few, few slides on, on the uh, uh, the business uh, uh, and the economics of, of, uh, of companies. Okay. The first... Uh, one thing, I mean, for people who are on the VNC, sometimes the graphics don't readily show up, then there's a refresh button uh, on the VNC window, not on not your uh, browser uh, refresh, but the refresh on the VNC, the refresh tab right next to uh, the, the upper, like, disconnect options, clipboard type tab. OK, 
Okay, thank you, Peter. I found it. With that. I mean, actually, it's for the viewers also. Yep. So press that. So just an example of, of uh, the internal perspective, which I will uh, quickly leave uh, shortly. Uh, I put up uh, Robert uh, Kaplan's uh, balance scorecard approach. And you can see there's a lot of things that goes on in company and a lot of things you focus. This is sort of the management uh, perspective. I put up a, uh, a part there, uh, blue one to, to the right, uh, where I sort of miss the business relationship partners and collaboration box. Uh, it could actually be beneficial to actually include that in in, in such uh, matters perspective, especially now that we work with international supply chains and collaboration and uh, integration is, is a keyword in the global e economy. Uh, next slide, 11. I put up a few other uh, perspectives. Um, I put another slide from Paul Harmon, uh, where you can talk about different levels, strategic levels, business process levels, implementation levels. And that's a way of organizing your knowledge and how to approach your, your company. I put up the Federal Enterprise Architecture, which is another way of working a lot of, uh, maybe even more uh, higher level than, than Paul Harmon's. Uh, I put up uh, SACMA, which fits into this category. And I put up the new uh, words, the SOA and the POA, the service-oriented architecture and process-oriented architecture. It's really interesting to see how those concepts may fit into uh, the existing set of, of the principles, ideas, and how to organize uh, the internal, spec internal perspective of a company. In all in all, there's quite a few different uh, ways of working with internal perspective since people have been doing business for quite some time right now. Next slide, uh, number 12. Uh, one part I would like especially to, to pick out here is the fairly recent trend about creating support for business processes and, and the emergence of quite a few uh, business process uh, languages. And there are right now quite a few principles and technologies for who's doing what with whom at which uh, time. And on the slide, I just put up a few other common uh, concepts, which is part of that. You have persons, uh, roles. You have some uh, notion of process and uh, some form of occurrences. But what's interesting to note is that most of these uh, languages deal with how to organize uh, who's doing what, basically. But there are significantly fewer, it seems anyway, that integrate responsibility, authorization, cap capability, capacity, accounting, duties and rights, uh, and negotiation, etc. There are some trends uh, going on where people are interested in policy and access and rights languages uh, today. But uh, the, the other area about organizing what is doing, uh, what's been done in a certain point in time, is, is more more mature. So. It's, I think it's a fairly good uh, trend. One negative aspect uh, which I've seen in some cases is that there seems to be an interest in differentiating uh, between what is uh, has to do with the collaborative behavior from what happens inside a company. And in some cases, there are some people that think that, well, we need to differentiate it very, very strongly. So. In this particular way of doing things, we would like to specify only what is shared and, and collaborative, only what is actually visually appearing from both parties. But 
Uh, what I've seen in quite a few cases is that uh, that is not really what a lot of people want to do. They actually want to describe not only visual uh, visual observable behavior. They would like actually to describe what actually is supposed to happen before you send a data message and what happens actually after you do that from an internal point of view. So this very strong division of, of internal and external may not be uh, a profitable one in, in the long term. Another question in terms of these process languages is that they very quickly become very formal and that becomes a problem for, for quite a few people in, in order for them to work with it and for them to actually understand it. And one question I would like to pose uh, today is actually, is it so necessary to become so formal so quickly in this uh, process language? Uh, couldn't there be some kind of migration path from, from the easy to understand uh, approach to visual processes, etc., to the more form formal way? So you can take that uh, uh, with you today. Moving into the uh, final block, uh, page uh, 13. Um, the business collaboration or the communicative part uh, which deals with communicating between uh, software. I put up uh, four boxes. Uh, I put up uh, a UNC fact uh, picture which is actually a little bit modified but uh, that basically says uh, up in the right corner on page 13 that uh, collaboration between uh, companies is not only exchanging information, it's actually exchanging information with a fairly rich uh, uh, context. So well, on this page uh, I put up this box that contains uh, the internal uh, perspective with processes which needs to be integrated aligned with other organizations' processes. We have the value offers, uh, the preferences of uh, things. Uh, we have the exchange of money for, for product, but also a good uh, collaboration also uh, makes sure that the companies are aligned in terms of the strategies and, and goals uh, quite often. And all this could, sort of say, form a e-collaboration model. You also have to be aware of, of the current operating procedures within your industry and the different types of supply chain or value chain uh, models which actually uh, exist in a particular industry. Uh, the upper uh, right corner, uh, I put in a maturity model. So there are actually attempts to actually work with the supply chain maturity model. I'm not sure exactly where I got this diagram. I think it's from SCORE somewhere. So if, you, if you've seen it before, so please uh, notify me. I just found it in my library and I thought it was interesting to see that you can actually discuss maturity even on a supply chain, in supply chain context. At the bottom half, I put up a little bit what CFAC is doing. We're on the left side, we have the OpenEDI, which is an approach we CFAC uses It's from, from ISO, which basically says that you should separate <coughs> the business operations view and the aspects from, from, from a business point of view, from the function service view, more of the uh, technology. And on the uh, right side, I put up uh, my own diagram, which is sort of an idealistic diagram of the CFACT e-business uh, framework. It's not endorsed in a way, but it's a nice way of actually looking at things we, we could do uh, in the future. Unfortunately, today we have uh, four different ways of working with business processes in CFACT. We have three ways of working with business information. So we have a little bit more things to do uh, 
in order for us to get where, to where we want to be. So that was very, very quickly, very briefly on, on introduction, uh, sort of a context for uh, the more finer details of business uh, collaboration from very high level to uh, become a little bit more level, a little bit more, more concrete. So I will just stop here for a few seconds and uh, ask if you have any any questions. You probably have uh, plenty full. Uh, so any questions? Yes, and, and there's uh, Peter Yim here. Uh, back on slide number three, you mentioned, I mean, the, the what can be shown to the district court judge. Uh, could you elaborate what exactly do you mean uh, in, in that statement? It is basically that if you create a too technical solution, you will end up, could end up in problems when you are facing um, dispute situations. And if you can't explain something so it could be very well understood by the sort of the final arbitrator, which is the judicial system, then you may not get a, a, a correct and just uh, decision. So it's, it's sort of a warning sign. Why do you have? Why do the IT vendors have to create so technical solution that normal persons, such as the district court judge, cannot uh, understand it? And finally, and to say, the judicial system is is the final arbitrator in in, in uh, disputes. Thank you. That really clarifies my question. Um, any more questions? I do have one uh, question. Um, this is uh, Nicholas Rukan. Um, there, there's been um, recently uh, a lot of um, discussions about uh, using uh, some um, uh, standards for describing um, um, services, uh, organizations, and things like this. Like, for example, uh, OWLS. Um, um, BPEL for uh, web services and, and, and various things like that. Um, where where does your approach stand relative to um, which standards do you really um, rely on, um, and and where is it that you are um, you are you are adding specific technology of your own and, and, and what is that technology that or what, or what kind of technology do you, are you adding to make uh, this, uh, this approach uh, workable? Uh, thank you for the question. I think you will find a lot of the answers to that question in the rest of the presentation. Um, I think in some aspects we are in a position where we are, uh, I would use the term mature and that is uh, the different ways of describing who's doing what uh, in which order, sort of temporal ordering of business processes. There's quite a lot of ways of doing that. And the question is, uh, who is the best? And I'm not sure who is the best. In many cases, from a business point of view, you don't make any more money using uh, left or right or, or a particular type of technology. So in some aspects, I think we are fairly uh, mature. And it doesn't really matter which one you, you uh, use. So in some case, uh, I have sort of uh, little preferences, uh, except for one preference, and that is that I think 
they would be beneficial if some of the more advanced approaches could find some form of migration path. Is it possible to start very simple and uh, through a number of iterations become more and more uh, formal and more and more precise? Is it possible, for example, to start with, uh, I think in Microsoft uh, Project, you have a way of saying that this activity should finish before the next one starts. You have a finish-start relationship between activities. Is there a way of starting in that very simple mode and then add on more uh, precision, more formality? And that's maybe something I will actually miss it from quite of the technologies. It's too right. formal, too, too quick. I understand, but at the same time, for example, there are uh, a number of, uh, of formalisms that are, of course, more expressive than that. For example, if you take uh, just uh, OWL-S, which is um, an extension on top of OWL, um, for uh, describing um, uh, services. And so if someone, for example, has um, a number of, uh, of services uh, already available um, and, and wanted to, say, uh, uh, integrate with, um, with your T architecture, how, uh, how could that happen? Um, or, or what are the, the different kinds of uh, more or less standard interfaces or, or exchange formats that we could um, start to look at? This is the way you describe, say, a process, whereas this is the way, uh, say, OS does. Okay, that's uh, a more another question which I'm not uh, really touching uh, today. So I don't think today's presentation will come into that area, and it will take a little bit longer for me to to work on that. I don't think I really have an, uh, a detailed answer for you. Uh, I, I understand. It's just that I, I, it, it, uh, in in, um, in 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 this forum, since um, there are a lot of people who come from various uh, you know backgrounds and, and use different you know types of tools and, and whatnot, then it's uh, it, it it's often difficult to 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 assess uh, when when there's some you know, um, approach that looks very uh, promising or has clearly some demonstrated potential, how is yeah. it that it can work um, outside the context where you know, the, either the, the company or the developers or whoever uh, really uh, made it work, uh, you know, how can that transfer in, in a different uh, organization context? Mm, very good questions. And, and you will see a few hints on, on uh, where uh, certain technologies could could be improved in later in the presentation. I will be a little bit more and more precise, mm -hmm. but in, in in general terms, I'm, I'm not going to that particular interfacing uh, merging of ontology type of, of uh, today. Okay. Uh, one more question before I move on. Oh, maybe uh, one more if I may. Okay, short one. <laughs> um, <laughs> Is there a way that you can uh, characterize the kind of um, of inferences that uh, your system is able to do um, on the basis of the information that uh, someone has provided to it? Uh, I think so. Um, at this uh, this slide at the end, you will see something called common business acknowledgement, which is something that is with one one of the problems. And that is the formulation which deals uh, with um, providing evidence, but also providing information that could be used for inferencing. <coughs> so
So yes, uh, there are ways of, of improving the uh, business qualities of, of, um, of all of this uh, in, in quite, ni quite nice ways. So are, are you saying that you are doing part of that reasoning, or, or is it work that you intend to do? Uh, um, this particular point, this is the project which we are prototyping uh, right now, and it's intended to be part of uh, a, I think, a Nordic country's standardization effort, hopefully. <coughs> and the standardization effort on... Oh, is that what you were mentioning, the UNC FACT standard business acknowledgement? Is that uh, uh, no? This is uh, this is a local or regional, I would say. It's a Nordic uh, country. It's a particular industry where we, what we are we are doing that for that particular industry. So we are in the prototyping, and we will hopefully go into proof of concept uh, in in the autumn. I see. Okay, let's move on then into uh, the more detail here, maybe hopefully more interesting, I would say. So I will start with um, a simple question. And that is, are collaborative services as simple as it seems, or using? So I will just take a very simple example. And this is the very, very simple example just to get you in, into the mood. So for example, let's take a check inventory level. And it's, it could be quite a simple uh, way of working with uh, that and check the inventory level. So you define a web service through using technology, the whistle. You define an operation, check inventory, you take product time, and uh, level is, uh, the inventory level is returned. You implement that using some message uh, exchange pattern using Java web services and Eclipse. And with the right tools, you will have an operating system within uh, one hour. It's very, very quick uh, nowadays. However, there are some business questions which uh, are left uh, behind. Uh, one question is, what happens uh, when an exception is raised? And that's the common way of saying that something went wrong. Uh, the service is not available. And the business questions or legal questions that could be raised are, who is responsible for making sure that the query is actually handled on, on the client side? It is not as simple as throwing away a message and, and um, see, see what happens. There are actually responsibility uh, issues, uh, and, and uh, the blame could be put on the client or, or uh, the server, for example. Could this uh, question have been posed using alternative communication uh, channels? What happens if you, for example, are using a telephone to ask for the inventory level? Are they equivalent? Yeah, probably from a business point of view, yes. Uh, they are equivalent. There is also the question of accuracy of, of the, uh, the return inventory level. Is it something that will hold for uh, five hours? Is it very accurate? Could you actually base your decisions on that inventory level, or are they just statistical measurements which doesn't uh, mean uh, anything? So a very simple operation could actually have other implications and, and uh, which uh, a business uh, uh, may need to uh, consider. So that will, so to say, be the uh, uh, the opening uh, question. So I will move to the next slide. And I mention a few words on on the general characteristics, which actually. Uh, is part of the electronic uh, virtual world, and that is that 
we can see uh, less human involvement, which um, sometimes is quite good and sometimes it could uh, uh, create problems. One problem is that uh, still a computer system cannot be its own legal entity, so it cannot have be responsible for anything. It's usually a human who has ordered the information system to, to do something. We can see an increased uh, speed, that uh, inter interaction, transactions happens uh, faster, which means that you can repeat successful operations quite quickly, but you can also repeat uh, uh, problematic uh, uh, operations such as uh, spam, and if you find the security hole, you can utilize that very, very uh, quickly. Another point is that for humans, uh, the systems could be quite uh, complex, and in some cases you can see that, for example, that, that people would like to use simpler means. They have tried the more uh, elaborate example, and there's sort of a movement backwards saying, well, this is too complicated, let's go back to the basics, etc. The fast evolution of technologies uh, creates, creates problem and the emergence of legacy, and I mentioned the archiving as one of the problems. Uh, one of the areas which have problem with uh, the fast evolution. Um, we can also see that uh, there is a lack. Uh, right, maybe, maybe let's resume. Okay. Um, so which slide are you on now? Uh, slide 15. 15. So we'll just quickly go through a few uh, basics. Uh, you, you've seen it before and, and you know quite a lot about those. Uh, uh, lack of deep knowledge, uh, we have the security and trust issues, um, uh, sometimes based on that we have less human interactions, we have spam, phishing attacks, and some of them are, are based on the uh, speed of internet and, and that you can work statistically. It is sufficient that 1% uh, uh, is hooked and you don't have to bother to do, do one attack, you can do uh, 1 million attacks, uh, really. So, uh, next slide, 16. So now I'll go into more detail about uh, business collaboration, and some of the things are, are quite obvious, and, and uh, business collaboration involves two or more parties, that's uh, rather obvious, but sometimes it's actually forgotten uh, in some technologies. In terms of parties, uh, the collaboration could be within, you, uh, you, you can classify collaborations, in, this is a very, very simple one, but you can classify uh, the collaboration between uh, parties. The first level is uh, between units in the same organization, and this is the most uh, the nice one because now you can have a common manager who actually decides who is right or wrong. However, if you put uh, a legal boundary between the two parties, you may end into issues uh, of dispute and uh, trust, uh, etc. So now you have two parties which, in a way, have to collaborate. Uh, and they may not agree uh, at the end. And this is where the problem starts to occur. Um, and the problem is compounded by uh, if you have parties within uh, different types of, of uh, uh, legal domain. And some of the business technologies work quite well if you work within an organization. And some of them work quite well if you have parties with very high level of trust and very high level of integration maybe a merger acquisition, for example, for, for a while they are different entities, but they are becoming one. And in very close-knit, uh, open supply chains, you can have a very high level of collaboration. But as soon as you um, remove the level of trust and uh, increase the difference and, and uh, include the legal domains, 
there's actually some need for different types of um, uh, basic mechanisms. And the league community has been aware of this for a couple of thousand years, so they, they have devised a number of mechanisms for dealing with that. I will get back to those. We have also multi-party uh, collaboration, and uh, they can often be broken down into pairs. And one interesting question is, uh, have all the parties access to all the information? And sometimes I've heard discussion as if all the parties in the supply chain have equal access to uh, all information, and sometimes the proposed solution is, is reflected by that. But if you include an analysis of business relationships, and if you include an analysis of the agreements and contracts which are signed by the parties, you usually get a slightly more accurate picture of actually the, the requirements uh, for, for uh, collaborations. Another characteristic uh, we can see that you can also quite often see conversational type of uh, collaboration rather than pure request response. You can see negotiation, you see disputes, litigations. Uh, you have the issue of uh, no time reversal. It's not so simple to say that, well, we didn't do this. Uh, quite often you cannot do that, which means it puts some strain, for example, on transaction technologies. Uh, next slide, number uh, 17. Continue with the uh, aspect of, of uh, collaboration. We have the um, issue of risk. We talked about trust, but we also have uh, uh, the risk factor. If you don't know your party that well, you better uh, make uh, some form of risk analysis. If you have transactions with little cost, then you may take a risk. And there are people who actually work with this, and sometimes they are called commercial and contract managers. And the trend uh, that may be reflected even in technology is that they are not really trying to avoid risk or absorb risk, because it not, may not be commercial or economically uh, feasible. So they are trying to reduce the likelihood or, or the, the uh, consequence. And that includes detecting, recovering, and so to say, create incentives for, for good behavior. And that's actually something that could be reflected in, in, uh, in business type of, of uh, uh, protocols. That the possibility, the, the increasing the amount of evidence, for example, is uh, the way to go. And, and it's actually sometimes more economical to remove a security feature and increase the amount of evidence, and that could be actually more, more uh, a better economical uh, solution. And one thing we did in Sweden for one, one organization is that we used HTTPS uh, on a public uh, URL and send an XML document, um, and that's uh, pretty open to, to spam, for example, but uh, they took this risk because they could change the URL and make it more difficult for people to actually create spam or service of denial attacks or, or create some kind of problem. But we also added a recommendation to actually check the payment instructions against the own, some internal records. It's not a rule, it was sort of a, a recommendation, and that could reduce the number of, of uh, potential uh, problems. Next point here. Um, Actually, you can come in with questions now uh, after each slide if you, if you have those questions. So I will just finish off this and, and we'll take uh, questions if you have uh, accumulated a few of those. Uh, 
next one, the business entities. Um, when you send information, uh, collaborate, uh, collaborate, there's usually things you uh, talk about. And you also usually need something uh, to remember. If you work with business uh, and, and change of economic and legal relations, you usually have something to remember uh, after each uh, transaction. So, and these entities usually have life cycles. This is something uh, CFACT has been working with, and it's uh, rather beneficial to actually uh, look at resources, for example, and contracts and go through the different types of life cycles. I put up an example of uh, ISO 19439. Uh, it's a GERAM-inspired um, uh, standard for, for um, enterprise systems. And they have defined a number of uh, uh, life cycles, the main concept requirements, etc. And this is, so say, the incentives in, in a very broad sense. What is missing, what could be said missing, is actually negotiations. So um, if you want to have a business collaboration where you usually want to include negotiation as one of the uh, key states that uh, business could be, be part of, is it under negotiation or, or has it been identified, as, et cetera? When you say uh, the negotiation is missing here, uh, are you talking that it's missing in the in the scale of uh, the model phase? I mean, in one of the three different axes on that on that uh, diagram, or or perhaps as a fourth kind of uh, axis? Uh, in this case, I think it's from the uh, on the upper side, the main concept set. I think that's the life cycle, basically. The commission, the bottom part is the <coughs> the last in the life cycle. So uh, sometimes after um, maybe between requirements and design, or between design and implementation, somewhere there, you should de include some form of negotiation if you are doing this in a multi-party uh, uh, scenario or two-party scenario. It could be somewhere else. I haven't really analyzed this particular point. Uh, I was just noting uh, when I got one of his presentations that uh, negotiation was not, so say, sufficiently important to put in on this very high-level description. And when you say that uh, business entities have life cycles, uh, from an engineering perspective, you could say that um, a business entity um, you know, has uh, a number of uh, quality attributes, the value of which define the state or the configuration at a particular time of that business entity. Um, where, where in your in your understanding of uh, of uh, this um, 19439 standard is that accounted for? Um, I think it's it, it, I think it's the uh, from the top to the bottom domain to the, the commission. That's, to say, the generic uh, type of life cycle they have. Yeah. If I understand correctly, I'm not sure, 100% sure about that, but I think it's uh, from the top to, to the bottom on the front to the side of it. Uh, okay. Um, another trend is that um, there's a lot of sophistication that talks about observable behavior. What you see is, is what we get. I will talk a little bit more about uh, that particular um, way of approaching things. But it actually could lead to, to uh, some, problem, some, uh, some problems. It's sort of the old uh, question about if a tree falls in the forest, does it make a sound? It's sort of that type of question that arises. 
notion, which is uh, interesting, uh, is that some of the principles are based on one technology framework. So if you want to replace certain parts of your technology, you cannot do that because the business semantics is actually embedded in, in uh, technology. And one example is that uh, one major organization has said that why not put the verbs uh, inside the whistle instead of in, in the business document? It may seem as a very trivial question, but uh, it uh, creates some, uh, some could create, could create some, some problems. Next slide, 17 to 18 to 19. I think it should be 18. Um, this slide is a slide I think you have to read a little bit later on because it's uh, quite a lot of uh, uh, topics. But this is basically uh, populated with uh, terms which has been picked out of uh, legal literature which deals with uh, what seems to be a very simple uh, problem to send some information from one party to another party. So you generate information, you send it, you receive it, and then you process, transform, etc., uh, etc. Et but if you look at all the different aspects which are relevant, it becomes, uh, becomes quite, quite many. I will put uh, three different dots uh, in places where there are uh, a number of uh, concepts uh, remaining. I just pick them out so, so it will be easier to, to read. And one of the things uh, which is important, which has been forgotten in, in a way, is that um, the definition of uh, when a data message is available for processing, I will get uh, uh, back to that. Uh, when is a data message available for processing? Because that's a very important point in time. Because that, when a data message could be used to actually uh, uh, create a situation where you can could buy or sell, etc. And that's a different point in time when it actually is uh, being processed. Uh, we have uh, considerations such as instantaneous and non-instantaneous. Uh, there is a difference between communication, which is uh, instantaneous, which happens immediately, for example, uh, chat or telephone. Uh, it's a difference from non-instantaneous, which uh, deals with email, for example when you don't really have a line of sight to, to uh, depend on. And for an order, for example, the time of sending an order is de uh, defined for instantaneous communication, the quick one, as the time when it's was actually received. When you have a slow communication line, it's de defined as the time when you actually sent, sent it. And this is uh, rather interesting. And you also talk about storable, retainable, perceivable, uh, trustworthy translations. There are terms such as intended agency. There's also a very interesting part uh, which is missing from most uh, framework, and that is the risk balance. Who is responsible for actually sending information from point A to point B? Is it the sender or the receiver? In some cases, for example, the legal effect occurs when the data message has left the building or the communication has left the building. It doesn't have to be uh, received. Uh, that's from transport, uh, international transport law. So there are uh, interesting parts there. And one key part is that no data message is or communication is actually in, in the void. It's always someone who is responsible for making sure that the, the information goes from point A to point B. So your service provider, you have to be sure on which part 
the service provider, uh, uh, service provider actually acts uh, on on behalf of, for, for example. So many of these aspects can be derived from, from technology, but very few of these are actually part, the core part of, of the technology. So this is slightly different legal view from, from uh, Wisdom, for example, a whole bunch of other things which is actually has to be imposed on top of, of that in order to make it uh, legally uh, relevant. But, but isn't, um, isn't there somewhere, um, or wouldn't it be at some point useful to, to separate, say, perhaps the, the, the various ways in which um, risk or, uh, or responsibility or, uh, uh, or, or the modality of instantaneous non-testimonious communication um, is, um, or, or is specified from really at, at some from from the perspective of some uh, uh, perhaps information processing model or, uh, uh, or 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 purpose, what actually is being communicated? Like in, in your in your slide example, you could say, uh, okay, you're you're, you're sending a uh, uh, a a demand um, and, and, and whether it's an acknowledgement and whatnot, but the point is that the sender has communicated a demand and and we've made sure that um, both parties know that uh, it's been received uh, and there's of course exceptions that might happen, but uh, without getting into the details of how we can achieve um, the confidentiality, integrity, risk, and, and assurance of the communication. Um, for some points of view, it's more important to 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 look at um, the information being communicated as opposed to the means by which it is done, achieved. Absolutely, I think that that that's both uh, desirable and and possible to do that, and it's most likely possible to do it in a composable way so you can work from different aspects and include those aspects and, and make it uh, work quite nicely. I've made a few attempts on doing that and, and uh, in, in from the angle of, of uh, perspective of, of speech acts and uh, it worked quite nicely and, and it turns out it's fairly uh, easy to actually explain uh, what actually goes on for, for the for the normal sort of casual business user in that aspect. Okay. Okay, moving on. I think my time is uh, running out quickly. So, um, uh, next slide, number 19. Uh, this is also sort of a business collaboration view, and, and this is all the data messages that go back and forth. It's uh, quite a few. And I put a timeline here, and uh, if you look at uh, the top part, you see that time when it's possible to act on received uh, uh, data message. This is actually one of the most important points, because that is one of the points where the responsibility could actually shift from one party to another party. And the interesting, uh, if you look at the timeline, it actually occurs uh, before, usually before it enters the business system. And if you want to be really strict, it actually occurs quite often in the uh, firewall. And that's not something that many would like to recognize, uh, but it actually could happen in a firewall. Um, modern firewalls are, are quite uh, uh, capable of actually checking uh, both the SOAP headers, but uh, sometimes you can also check um, uh, the contents of, of messages against XML schema. 
So from that point on, it's actually responsibility, it could be responsibility of the receiver to actually make sure that um, the data message is processed uh, correctly and the receiver cannot claim saying that, well, I didn't get it. So if a problem occurs later on in the business system because of programming errors, etc., it's actually the receiver's uh, problem. So in reality, they can't send a message saying that, well, I didn't get the, the information or they can't say I have a problem because they have that and they have a poorly programmed system. And this is uh, sort of a new uh, point uh, which I've seen fairly seldom being discussed at all. Um, what's this balance? And um, yes, I will quickly move on to the next slide. This is kind of interesting. This is uh, uh, taken from Antetral, which is the uh, US, UN system's uh, organization for working with e-commerce uh, model laws. And have quite a few interesting uh, definitions. And one is definition of communication, and one is data message. And you can read that. But it provides some very interesting hints on, on how to differentiate different features in, in, uh, uh, in different types of uh, uh, technologies. And communication could be similar to a communicative act and data messages is something you send by using a data message exchange uh, act. Uh, next slide. Uh, just to bring in a few other points in terms of uh, service providers in the demand in the middle. Uh, just to show that uh, usually the service provider actually acts on behalf of uh, one of the parties and you need to attribute responsibility uh, in this case. <coughs> There's also a number of cases uh, you have at the bottom line, you have the information systems. And on top of the horizontal line, uh, you have designated information system, which is, means that you are saying that this is where the communication should go. This is my server inside the company, or this is my server outside the, the company. Uh, on the other side, on the bottom level, you have information which is not designated but uh, from sort of a legal point of view, uh, it could actually be okay to actually send an information information to a server which the receiver hasn't said we this is where we want to go, because that earlier it could be reasonable for the originator to send a message to that particular server. It could be a miscommunication of endpoints, etc. So. If the receiver have means of detecting that, it could actually be a, a correct uh, uh, transfer of, of, of information. So the so say the notion that well, it's only to the endpoints which we have defined that's where you can send it may not be true in in all the cases. There are more different aspects you can can read a little bit uh, later on there. And one point I would like to bring up again is the. Uh, point of available for processing and uh, if a mail server if, if a mail with a business communication comes to a mail, um, a mail server and the RGC has a routine to every morning at 10 o'clock to check the mail server he cannot say that well I didn't get that message because he had had a routine to actually check the mail server every morning and if he didn't do that well it's on the responsibility of the intended RDC to actually do it. So it's slightly a, a different interpretation from, from a more commonsensical legal, legal point, point of, of view. Next slide. 
contract formation process. And um, what I put up here is basically two entities uh, communicating to send the number of messages. And the first stage is you could quite often be you send an invitation. Then you start with proposal, withdrawal, accept, direct, uh, etc. Uh, and also <coughs> on the arrows out from this box is the key end state. Where does the uh, contract formation process stops? And the first one is uh, no offer, which basically means you have sent an invitation and nothing happens. <coughs> it could also be you, you make a proposal, but you very quickly withdraw it. Of course, you can revoke. You have sent it, have gone over to the other side, and later on you can revoke it under certain conditions. Then you have acceptance rejections, which is uh, quite traditional. Uh, then you have dispute. And if you have to spell out counteroffer, which is another one, which is, uh, could be viewed as a rejection and a new uh, offer. However, there are uh, practice um, in some cases that you, in a contract or in offers, you actually include a merger clause. A merger clause in the contract actually says that, well, all the other offers doesn't mean anything. This is the final and the only offer that has any significant meaning. So there are apparently certain cases where the counter-offer principle actually should be tied together because previous offers could actually give an indication of, of certain things and you can trust your party that certain things were, were coming and later on they were withdrawn, etc., etc. So. It's actually important to actually keep track of the counteroffer uh, reference chain uh, uh, backward, backwards. Now, this is an interesting because this process has other outcomes than exceptions. So, what about exceptions? Uh, in reality, when you send uh, messages, uh, a proposal, for example, the end result, from business point of view, it could be debatable if uh, that is an exception. It is usually a no offer or, or something else. So e exceptions doesn't really play a role in this type of contract uh, formation process. They have to be translated into something else. And that's something you, uh, that's interesting to bring up uh, on, on the table. On, on the PDF, you will find a few uh, principles on, on contract uh, uh, formation such as an offer is not binding forever. And you can actually accept an offer by being engaging in other acts than just sending a acceptance backwards. So it, you can actually accept an offer by going to the phone and talk to the um, offerer. You can actually accept by going on national television to say that, well, we have accepted this offer from this company without informing the offerer directly, etc. And the other ways of actually accepting an, an offer, which doesn't mean communicating uh, information using the same channel of communication as you used for, 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 the, for the proposal. Uh, next slide. I mentioned earlier um, about the uh, economic relations and the change in economic relations. Now, that is one of the key points in, in exploring if a particular technology actually is um, uh, economic or, or legal type of technology. And I brought in a picture from, from Bill McCarthy here. Uh, and one of the things, one of the relationships you can try, uh, change are 
the transfer of, of payment or control of goods or change locations, etc. And these are types of uh, things. And if the technology from the beginning actually is sensible to that, then you have a good chance that this is actually a business uh, technology. At the end, I put up um, a few thoughts, and that is, um, is the commitment to pay an amount the same as the obligation to send a data message with payment instructions? I've seen specifications now that uh, actually equate the two. That uh, if you fail to send a data message, the obligation are, are not relevant anymore. And that discounts the possibility you that the user can actually leave the telephone and make calls saying that, well, I've got this information, here's my response, and not using the same communication channel. Which, uh, which one uh, was that? What example is that? Uh, I prefer not to go into okay. that type of detail, so okay. we can take that on, on offline if you want to. Right. So, um, and that's that's actually a key problem that you're trying to be too legal in your ways, and, and you're equating to say failing to uh, send something with the failing of, of the so say the economical background, the obligation, duties, rights uh, that you have. Is that is that a, a too much of a restriction, or is it perhaps an in, in insufficient? or an incomplete specification where uh, there, are, there, there are alternative ways to, to uh, in the end, to, to still um, fulfill the, the transactions, uh, like uh, the picking up the telephone and explaining, um, as you mentioned, that turned out not to be um, accounted for in, uh, in the model. Um, I think in this case, uh, I think it's a specification which is too rigid in its uh, uh, in its language, and and if you make it more composable uh, and more flexible, I think you can uh, uh, work around that problem. And for example, not uh, talking about using the same communication means as as the previous message, and just talk about exchanged uh, information between. Also, I would say exchanged communication between uh, the parties. You, you mentioned uh, on the PDF slides that um, you use a Dolce with uh, some extensions. It's not me. It's, it's a research project from from Italy called Your uh, WordNet. Because um, one uh, in in that context, for example, um, in Dolce, what, one way that you could um, you know, get around the problem about uh, saying um, you know interpreting. Uh, lack of communication as a uh, transaction failure would be to say, well, there should be, or there's an expectation that um, we should um, receive an acknowledgement of the completion of some activity from the other side, like in this case sending a payment, and and which translates into a goal, and then you can say, well, you can achieve that goal either by explicitly sending that payment or by perhaps um, calling with instructions that the payment was made electronically or whatever, or through some other way, in, in which case then um, you can still retain the, the fairly strict definition of, um, um, of, of, of the overall success or failure of a, of a complex transaction, but retain the flexibility of uh, allowing multiple ways in which different sub-activities involved in, in the complex transaction can be realized. I think that's uh, sounded like a very good approach, actually. 
I think that's uh, uh, something very, very feasible. Um, unfortunately, some legal aspects is, is uh, creeping into. I will example a bit later on here, mm. or fairly quickly, uh, how two different specifications have a different language, and, and one is. Uh, more susceptible, you can build on and uh, add legal language. Another one includes legal language, and, and the one is easier to actually uh, create more and more. Uh, you mentioned goals, for example. You can in, if you include duties and rights uh, uh, as a part of the goals or, or satisfying the, the duties, for example, as a goal. Uh, you may end up in very very interesting systems, a usable system, I would say. Right. Uh, I'm not sure how many minutes I have right now. Time is uh, quickly running out. So I will uh, try I'll call actually, uh, I mean, t t t the line will kick us off probably around like 12.30. So uh, we still have about 30 minutes. Until okay, so Although I will try to... to leave some time for discussion and questions. Absolutely. Okay, I will try to speed up. You have a lot of information on, on the slides and, and in the uh, PDF for, for more. So, um, aspects of uh, business collaborations uh, number three. Uh, there are more in PDF that talk about wholesale, for example, the record obligation chapter, which is kind of interesting. Um, and uh, as mentioned, uh, the uh, the WordNet uh, judicial uh, WordNet, uh, which is Dolce Part Extension, is kind of interesting to to read. Uh, so, we're going to a few other uh, problematic areas. Um, and here you have more information in, in um, uh, the, the PDF file. Uh, the first one is uh, terminology and conception. And I think you know more about that than me, but I will just point out uh, a couple of uh, problematic terms uh, which uh, frequently uh, occurs. And the first one is business transaction. And that is used uh, frequently. And the problem with that is that Everybody knows business transactions. The problem is that most people have different interpretations. And if you come from IT, you have certainly have a different view from, from the business, uh, normal business people. So that is a, a very tricky question to actually um, to answer what is a business uh, uh, transaction. The question is, uh, it's used quite often in terms of uh, collaborative specifications. And the question is, uh, should it really be a term that should be part of an exchange of information? Personally, I, I prefer business interaction instead of, of uh, business transaction it, in that manner. You know, the, yes, um, this is Bill. I, I'm really, after dealing with this particular term in four or five different ways, I've come to the conclusion, this is just my opinion, that the open EDI term is probably the best one. They, they've, they were there first, and they actually used the term um, very consistently throughout. So that's just, just an opinion, sorry. Yeah, sure. A good suggestion. Have a look at OpenEDI. Uh, next term is acceptance acknowledgement. And this is uh, basically uh, two terms combined together, acceptance uh, acknowledgement. And in the PDF you have uh, a description of, of the definition from one, one uh, specification. The problem here is that it includes the term acceptance. And acceptance is quite often used in legal context. and. Uh, since this particular specification is, is almost like a legal document, and this, the interpretation of the acceptance acknowledgement is not the same as the legal uh, uh, term, that will most certainly create problems for, for people trying to actually figure out what actually is meant by this particular uh, term. 
Another term uh, which is also occurring uh, is business success and failure, and that also occurs in the context of uh, business collaboration, which means there are two or more parties. And the question is, is it really good the practice to actually include business success and business failure in the collaborative specification? Um, could it be viewed that uh, success and failure are more value judgments belonging to either parties in, in the collaboration? I mean, for example, if you take sending a complaint report between two parties, <laughs> is the complaint report success for either party? Or is it a failure for one of the parties and success for the other ones? It's usually a failure for, for both to have a complaints report. So that may be uh, uh, terms to, to consider. But couldn't you say that, that, that the ambiguities that, um, that you're pointing out are, are issues that the terms are used outside a well-defined context and therefore, you know, success of, uh, of, of what and, and, and what business or what aspect of the business are we talking about for success and failure? And, and so without um, really precising um, what is the context in which we ought to interpret these, these, these terms, then it's they're almost uh, meaningless in saying that... Uh, um, we, you know, it, it would be better to um, use a different word and whatnot. Is is not really fundamentally solving the problem. It's just displacing it to some new new terms. But until we actually more precisely capture uh, for each term the context in which we are interpret them and define their meaning, uh, we haven't moved. Uh, you know, we haven't made much progress. Well, I think my, my aspect which I bring up has more to do with that there are two parties and they are making a uh, shared statement saying that, well, this particular interaction will end in business success and failure. And uh, sometimes if you have win-win, uh, who is it failure for? Is it both parties or one party, etc.? It's, it's, uh, um, in a, and it could be viewed that success and failure could be attributed to, to either party. And in terms of the complaint report, what is it in that way? So I would feel comfortable using another term, business path or, or something else. It's it's difficult to take a business success and failure to a business person, person and, and ask him what does it mean for, for, for you together. So I, I think you find fewer cases when it's actually appropriate to use these value judgments uh, in, in a collaborative way. For each party, you can definitely have business success and failure mm-hmm. if you want to. Um, well, I put up a service, and in the PDF I also put up the uh, service directive, so you can see a little bit how, how the, from a regu- regu- regulatory point of view, how service is actually uh, defined uh, as uh, different types of economic activities. And uh, you can have a look at that. So it's very tricky to, to work with technology, and, and certainly it's a lot of things to, to do, and, and uh, it's very interesting to follow these groups' uh, dealings in, in, in this matter. Another problem which I've encountered is uh, the separation of concern, which is a rather common practice that you separate uh, or divide the problem domain, the solution domain in different uh, uh, parts, layers, views, uh, viewpoints, uh, etc., in order to actually make it more manageable. Uh, however, there are some uh, interpretation of that uh, when has gone quite far, and that is to e- to attribute um, legal considerations to, to a particular layer, 
to say basically that this particular activity we do within the confines of this layer does not have any uh, intended, which could be the keyword, intended business meaning. And what I'm thinking about right now is, is from, from the world of reliable messaging is that, well, this low-level low acknowledgement doesn't have any legal meaning or intended uh, business legal meaning because later on someone would send a proper business uh, uh, acknowledgement. But the question is, could that really be uh, uh, defined that way? Because if you send a low-level message, uh, that low-level message will certainly indicate that the message has, uh, or the communication has arrived, which makes it very difficult for a later message to claim that, uh, well, I didn't get the message. Uh, it also creates a problem because the first message will say that, well, the message uh, arrived to the other side, and if the message or the, co the communication is actually properly formatted, everything is okay, it makes it virtually impossible for the next message to claim that, well, the message was not formatted. So if the message arrived, it did arrive, and the fact is there, and if you send an acknowledgement, there is an acknowledgement. What is different between these two acknowledgements in this case is the level of evidence you actually provide. But the wording from, from, from the um, uh, writers of the reliable uh, protocol are actually saying that, well, did this particular low-level message doesn't have any business semantics. And this is uh, um, uh, difficult to, to um, approach from, from a more commonsensical uh, point of view. And that's something one could actually be aware of, that it's kind of difficult to define or stipulate away from being business and, and legally relevant. Um, next is uh, including legal language uh, in technical specification. And um, if you do so, you are also imposing uh, a requirement on the actual user of those uh, types of specifications. You need to make sure that they actually have knowledge about what actually uh, will occur if they implement uh, uh, this particular uh, specification. And um, when they do um, an instance or some kind of specification and put that into the system, that should actually be reviewed by the internal legal counsel. Uh, just because the specification is legally in, in its uh, aspects. And in your uh, uh, PDF, I put uh, an example from two specifications. Uh, one is uh, the BPSS, and one is the uh, Web Services Choreography Definition Language from WCTC. Uh, CDL, the first one, uh, has a uh, way of working with the same problem as the OASIS version of BPSS. CDL uh, mentioned that they're talking about successfully sent the information. And that is a, a rather technical definition, but that definition is, is uh, very uh, simple to actually add legal semantics on uh, later on. You have dispatch and reach, which is sending and receiving on both sides. On the other hand, the OASIS version of BPSS talks about if it fails, which is the transaction, each partner must relinquish any mutual claim established by the transaction. And that is actually legal language, which means that uh, you need a lawyer to actually evaluate 
are we comfortable with this particular transaction or we're not. So that's uh, the requirement is, is actually exported to, to, to uh, the users. So you have to be very careful when you write this specification to actually select the level of, of, of uh, language. May I interject? This is Monica. I joined a little late. I'm sorry. Um, I, I think, it, Anders, this is a really good point. I appreciate you uh, uh, bringing it up. I, I think it's also uh, important to specify that that spec actually points the UNM R10 and provides the information where the references come from. So the language is actually not specifically from BPSS. It maps back to the original reference of which the information came. OK, thank you. Uh, next point, um, restrictiveness of uh, business rules. Um, uh, one question I also encountered on, on this uh, proactive law from a uh, woman from, from the UK who was uh, a business manager and uh, interested in, in uh, proactiveness of, of uh, contract commercial management risk, uh, etc. And she posed the question, what happens if the business system says uh, no to a transaction and the company still wants to execute it? And this is uh, kind of uh, interesting. Uh, how strict should the formalization be and what are the consequences of uh, uh, violating a particular rule? In some cases, you are very strict and say, well, this is the actual uh, consequence. And, uh, oops, uh, I'll go back again. So, uh, it will be interesting to um, differentiate between different types of rules and, and the uh, uh, consequences, and also to provide certain means of uh, uh, restarting, um, initiating, for example, dialogues about your, your interaction. You can negotiate what is the best forward, and then uh, continue from, from there. Or, and also to include dispute resolution and other, I call it fixing mechanisms, to actually uh, continue where you are, so that that when the business systems, from a business point of view, is wrong, you can actually come back again and, and continue according to what the the, uh, the managers and the maybe both companies uh, uh, actually do. So the restrictiveness of business rules is actually an interesting uh, question. As is the uh, uh, issue of enforcement level. Is it uh, must rules? Uh, is it um, uh, should rules, or, or is it uh, as good as possible, uh, etc. Another issue is um, in terms of uh, what happens if you breach that. What are the consequences? One way is actually say that well, you have breached this uh, contract or this uh, rule, and now you have, pay, have to pay some money. You have uh, immediate materialization of, of uh, compensation. Another one is, is um, sort of an Hofeltian way of doing things is that you uh, create a power for one of the parties to actually claim compensation at, later, uh, at a later point. So the um, duty to pay doesn't arrive directly. It instead is uh, formulated as a power to instantiate the duty uh, at a later, uh, later time. So there are actually variations on, on the theme of, of, of breaking a potential rule. And Another way looking at things is that uh, sometimes you have uh, the right to say no to certain messages, and, and um, those type of, of uh, invariants is, is really important to, to separate from, from other types of, of different rules. 
Okay, um, we have state alignment and time reversibility and before and after the fact. These are other uh, factors which are kind of interesting. Uh, state alignment is, is um, has to do with both parties trusting each other that they have the exact uh, information. Uh, that's interesting. It's it's a statistical uh, way of looking at uh, collaboration. Uh, you also have the mailbox rules from uh, I think it's 1886 or, or or similar, where you say that well you shouldn't send acknowledgement of acknowledgement indefinitely. It's enough that you have one or two acknowledgement. Because if you send one data message and then you acknowledge that uh, back later on, you are not 100% sure that both parties know exactly the same same thing. You are just a little bit more sure than if you sent just one message one uh, one way. Um, uh, time reversibility in, in terms of business is kind of difficult to to reverse uh, time. So database type of uh, uh, discussions, transaction, uh, two-phase commit could be quite difficult because it's not possible and you have um, different types of corporate governance that uh, puts a lot more pressure on, on the business information systems and you have to be careful that uh, uh, one doesn't so say automatically give the power to one party to roll back something which has actually uh, occurred. And the one question I put up here is also, is, it, is there a difference between not having sent or done, done something, withdrawn or revoked, for example, a communication? Three different ways of looking at an exception. And I think there actually is a difference between three different types. Before and after facts. Um, this is a comment on one way of looking at uh, post and preconditions. Uh, sometimes you have... Uh, reasoning where you take the state of affairs at the post time and deduct what happened before uh, the fact, the precondition, and, in, and by doing that you have uh, the explanation of what happens in between, before and after basically. The problem is that uh, if you do that you will end up in a very tricky situation, so it could be rather complicated rules that you have to follow in order to actually deduct what actually happened in the middle, and there could actually be multiple solutions to what happened in, in the middle. And from a business point of view, time is always uh, of importance, and what people do from point A to point B is always important. So this actually a as an assumption based on doing this uh, derived uh, way of what happens in between, and that is that time and what happens in between has no significant uh, significance, and that sometimes that could actually be difficult to 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 uh, to live with. Moving on to, I think it's the next slide. 25. 25. Um, and this is an aspect which is really interesting. Um, it has to do with uh, when you interact, uh, collaborate, and it has to do with uh, the context in, in which you collaborate, exchange information. Is it uh, really sufficient to actually describe the individual interaction, uh, the uh, in individual acts that the, the people are doing? If they play, play football, is it, isn't it uh, important to actually explain um, what happens in, in, in larger scopes? And this is from some of the fields which are called coordinated management or meaning, where you have uh, 
In this case, it uh, has to do with speech act. You say something from a speaker to a listener, you have some content, and that is performed within some form of short episode, which is performed uh, within uh, some kind of relationship between the speaker and, uh, and the listeners. And self-concept uh, basically means that it, it's your view of yourself, your intention, beliefs, uh, desires, etc. And everything is uh, performed within the, the culture and the uh, societal authoritative uh, uh, environment. And the other diagram is another one where you uh, talk about different things. Uh, either put in uh, contracts, uh, dialogues, interactions, but also put in uh, the business system from each parties um, and the business information systems, which is a smaller part of, of the business system, which is sort of the generic uh, uh, term. And the interesting question here is that is it efficient to regulate the order of exchanged information? Or does the party need to remember something? And uh, quite often, uh, parties actually do re need to remember between exchanging communication. And that's something that which is sorely missed from um, almost uh, most specifications today and much, most approaches, that you have a good model of a shared business uh, uh, knowledge base on, on actually each, each uh, side, which deals with things which is Bill McCarthy is talking about resource event uh, and the agents and, and the duties and commitments, uh, etc. because that ultimately is the deciding factor. Uh, there's a difference between the commitment to uh, deliver something and the commitment to send a data message or communication about uh, delivery. Um, also in the slides, um, uh, number 26, I put in a few examples of, of uh, communicative acts and, and business vocabularies. And it's quite common to actually use uh, verb and noun in order to describe the particular document or, or exchange of information. There is, however, um, some movement on actually moving the verb from the, the communication into technology. I included a comment from a very major uh, organization which made a comment to an industry organization saying that will that they believe that the verbs should actually be put in, into wisdom rather than put them into the actual document. And that's interesting because uh, that will create a dependency on the particular uh, technology uh, used. And this, but classifying verbs is, is uh, not that, that common. I included uh, Scott A. Moore's um, list of, of the community acts and the agent language FIPA, some verbs from the wages and EAN in there, and, and uh, it seems more like the agent community uh, leads the way uh, in, in this way in, in classifying uh, verbs and, and making proper ontology or, or should say taxonomies on, on that one. And it's something that could be worked on a bit more. Uh, next page um, is uh, a few concepts, or quite, actually quite many concepts, dealing with events. And this is uh, a topic which keeps uh, popping up uh, now and again, or quite often actually. Uh, what are events? What are conduct acts, etc. And uh, what I did here is actually put up a large number of concepts which are associated with events, which is actually in the middle. It's, it's in a time order. It doesn't have any ESA relationship. It's sort of just in a time from, from 
um, the knowledge, uh, the specification, the prescriptions, planning, etc., and the conduct, and, and but also it has to do with awareness, which is really important. When are you aware that something has happened? That because that's the time when you have uh, the capability to actually continue. Uh, basing your decision on that particular occurrence on that event. Observation, recording, you have to communicate that to someone else. I mean, if you pay something, that payment uh, has to, could be record, uh, communicated to, to, to someone. And if they don't trust you, they may get in a dispute saying, oh, well, you communicated the actually wrong uh, information to me. So it's kind of interesting, um, just to put up there, say that there's quite a lot of things, and, and in many cases, most of these aspects ha are not um, uh, present. Next. Let's see. Uh, number 28. Um, this is sort of the uh, question is, is there a way where you can simplify certain things? Um, is there a way where you can work with some kind of middle way instead of being 100% formal and uh, uh, having something which is based on natural language or, or text? I think there's a little bit more work to do here uh, to simplify this and, and provide a path towards a more formalized way of working on, with ontologies. And that is the last uh, presentation uh, slide with, with uh, basics on, on the uh, aspects of business collaborations and uh, one minute on on what is being done in certain areas and uh, you have seen the legal use interface where the Swedish government is trying to uh, create a way of communicating with the users in a legal way uh, there's enough effort uh, in, in Sweden also in with this particular industry where we are working with the acknowledgement in, in particular. It's called the Common Business Acknowledgement, pay, uh, slide 30. It's actually based on speech act. It's uh, based on the notions of statements, uh, facts, uh, propositions. It provides evidential values. It tries to bridge certain professional roles. We have made some uh, progress there. And you can use that for acknowledging certain things. Uh, and it's very, very precise. It's more precise and more generic. And it can be used with most uh, technologies which is available uh, today. It deals with a particular problem only. And CFAT uh, is doing certain things, uh, but I will uh, leave them for later. So all in all, this is what I have to offer today. Oh, that's so a few minutes for questions. Yes, uh, this is extremely comprehensive uh, rendition of what's uh, what the landscape is. Uh, just, I mean, right before you came to this slide, I mean, the com common business acknowledgement. Now, uh, where is this implemented, or where is this adopted? Is this part of your your vocabulary, or is it something in, in some standards that's being uh, cooking up or being adopted? Uh, it's, uh, first, it's based on research by me and Toolsmith. And uh, currently we are prototyping solutions and we are entering into a proof of concept this um, autumn. And hopefully, I'm not sure, maybe end of this year, beginning of next year, uh, we hope it will be included in a industry uh, standard for, for Sweden or most likely the Nordic uh, countries 
with some hope that we can uh, influence others in in Europe for this. Yeah, when you, I mean, I, of course, I mean, as I mentioned before, I would, I'm particularly interested in in the development in the when when speech act is being uh, employed. But when you say we, uh, what does that represent? It is a uh, an industry organization uh, which have funded the uh, the work. And the Nordic organization, or it is a Swedish Swedish uh, industry organization that uh, we they are so say talking to their um, Nordic neighbors, and uh, some of the uh, participants are Nordic uh, by nature, so they have companies in in all the countries. So it is uh, technically a Swedish product, but uh, we hope that uh, it will be settled on, on Nordic level. Is there any information publicly available that people can review? I think by the end of the year, uh, if everything works okay and, and uh, the business case has been settled, I think we'll see some information. Oh, maybe this is a question for both, uh, for, for, for let's say Anders and maybe Monica and, and Bill McCarthy. Uh, who else sort of employs Speech Act as sort of the, the underpinning for, for like, uh, business process and, and workflows and so on. I mean, besides yourself, do, do you see that being adopted in other uh, uh, at other efforts? I've seen that referenced actually. Um, I don't know if it's in. Uh, I mean, in, in two places, Mrs. Uh, Nicholas. One is uh, in actually some of um, the papers that uh, Chris Menzel. Menzel um, wrote in the context of uh, his views on, on formal ontology and um, and the other is um, in the work that um, uh, you know, from the guys at the, the formal ontology lab in, in Italy um, um, behind Dolce and, um, and there's um, Bob Column and Michael Johnson, who ran 2001-2002, did a few uh, paper studies um, using uh, examples of uh, business transactions and services, and and there the the idea about um, the, the the speech act is simply that uh, it 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 provides a way of uh, of saying if. You, you need to conceptually refer to um, a, a, a part of speech. Um, it is a, a, a statement that someone makes about, well, I'm talking about the product that I want to buy. And so you need now to explain the context in which that speech act makes sense. And, um, and that's where... Uh, some notions of, uh, of of context and and describing the set of uh, vocabulary terms that we can use in various speech acts and what do they mean relative to some kind of ground ontology. That's that's where the if you will the fun begins. And um, and in the context of um, the examples that Colomb and Johnson did. Um, they kind of sound very similar to um, um, Anders' uh, presentation today in the sense that uh, they both uh, look at uh, 
clarifying a number of uh, of, uh, of important relationships and, and properties uh, that are important to talk about uh, business services. And the, perhaps the difference is that uh, in the context of uh, Colum and Johnson, they use um, a mathematical formalism to 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 complement, if you will, um, a more conventional ontological perspective on on uh, on business services. I think uh, FIPA is using a speech act, a communicative act. So that's kind of uh, the agent language is FIPA. They got the website. Uh, okay. And I know that uh, EAN, UCC, or uh, Global Standards One had a project where they used uh, uh, Speech Act. Uh, Bob Hagen uh, was part of that. And I think actually Antitral, uh, the CFAC's legal uh, department, I think if you look at slide 20, I think they are using that unintentionally. They are talking about communication and data messages. And uh, I think you know, they are very close to, to Speech Act. And that gives Speech Act uh, very interesting credibility and, and a way uh, forward. And personally, I found it very fruitful to use that in, in discussions and, and for advancing at least my, my research in this area. Um, this is Rex. Brooks and in the Human Markup Technical Committee, we considered using Speech Act as part of the formal mediation language that we'll be working on later this year and starting next year. Oh, fantastic! Um, is this is your work based on John Searle's uh, work, Anders? Uh, yes, you can say that. Eventually. It goes through the tradition of, of Paul Johansson and his team in, in Stockholm. So yes, and also work by uh, Bill McCarthy. Yeah. Well, which relies on Johansson's team. So, <laughs> so I think you've got the, the source. So. Yeah. I think though uh, there are some problems with this, and that's why I brought a slide. Is there a an, uh, migration path for the common uses? Um, could you link uh, natural language uh, with the, uh, formalism through speech acts and, and uh, dialogues? And I think that's a very, uh, very fruitful uh, way. Unfortunately, we haven't come that far so that we use uh, verbs. If you look at the uh, count I made, you will see that uh, for EAN.com or UCC, there's actually, I think, seven verbs or something, and the wages has... Uh, 28 or something uh, different types of work, but in many other organizations, uh, they are not really <laughs> even using the principal uh, verb and noun to, to uh, sp uh, specify interactions or, 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 or similar. So there's quite a long way to go to actually popularize uh, a fairly simple mechanism, and then you can hopefully move into more and more uh, formalism in a way. But what about then um, the, um, for example, like the OWL-S approach, where where they use uh, the distinguish uh, the ground model to that more or less describes the uh, uh, the things that speech acts would refer to from the point of view of, of speech acts, then and then uh, the, the the process model and the service description then are where my understanding of uh, as far as I understand things would be the place where you do define what speech acts people want to, to use when they talk about business services. 
Yeah, I mean, the, defining the universal discourse is uh, a good way to, to start, and, and uh, we'll probably make it simpler if you have a custom-made um, grounding models uh, for particular purposes than having uh, super ontology for 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 doing that. I agree, uh, but uh, there's also uh, perhaps a, a, a middle ground for um, in the context of. Uh, Organizations who might not have a, um, a or can't find perhaps a, an available, um, say, an ontology of, of whatever domain they are working on to, to use, perhaps to, to kind of build one by um, by, by referring to um, you know, compositionally from other formal ontologies, like uh, like for example Dolchin or uh, or. Or uh, or sumo or you know or something else that that is enough uh, rigor underneath that you could say okay uh, we can use that as for example uh, a definition of the ground terms that we're going to refer to. Uh, yeah, sounds sounds good. I think uh, anyway we can simplify and, and uh, find a way for for the uh, I use the term common user, but but. Uh, the business persons who, who actually need to understand and, and uh, if that's possible that absolutely is great and, and but I think speech chat is, has proven quite uh, valuable because you can work with natural languages and you can have semi-structured English uh, I think OMG is doing some interesting work on, on the, their business uh, rules business vocabularies which is uh, worth uh, uh, following too and we are very quickly <laughs> running out of time. Actually, we had already run out of time. Maybe one more question. Uh, so, um, if not, then maybe I, I have one uh, one last question that that sort of bring, brings us all the way back to your original uh, 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 sort of title of, of the presentation is on the. Uh, rate of adoption. I mean, in conclusion, I mean, how how do you see sort of the rate of adoption of business ontologies uh, in terms of maybe a formal ontology from the perspective of, of let's say the the European uh, players in in the field, which I believe I mean uh, are sort of more progressive in the adoption of ontologies than their United States counterparts, if I may assume. Yes, uh, to summarize the statement, I think it's, the rate of adoption is, is very st uh, slow still, and uh, one of the difficulties is the uh, sheer complexity. Uh, in some cases, ontology techniques, methodologies, etc., are used to create solutions, but when that tip over, so that you import the complexity in the solutions that will usually create the problems for, for widespread uh, uh, adoption. And that was my, my slide about uh, is the migration path for the common user uh, aimed at to actually uh, bring up the issue of, of complexity. Can you simplify the solution? Because I think most people uh, jump at the word ontology be a little bit scary, and the 
uh, when I mentioned the, the speech act and uh, the usage of verbs with a verb noun and that not even that simple technology is, is, is uh, widespread. And um, and we have other examples where we have offered them quite nice tools, analysis uh, of, of uh, economic commitment, etc. And even that uh, is, is not used even by people who actually know, know ec economics. So I think there's a lot of things to do in, in order to actually provide this middle ground, uh, provide explanations and, and, and the way uh, forward. Of course, hopefully with, with a more formal, rigorous uh, background, but I think there's a, a very strong need for simple tools uh, for quite, uh, quite, quite many. So I think uh, all in all, it's a very slow adoption and complexity. Um, is a hindering factor. And some of the aspects which I have brought up here uh, in terms of the business collaboration problem uh, from, so to say, the legal aspects, the, the member aspects uh, that you do in a, in a partial solution uh, means that people don't really trust the system or the two think the system does too much or think the system is too restrictive. So all in all, uh, fortunately, fairly slow adoption. Right, but but I mean, your recommendation is good. I mean, if we can map out the migration path, I mean, the reason, of course, obvious reason why I ask is, I mean, that is the the uh, term of reference for this ontolog community, as we are a community working on the application and adoption of ontological engineering and semantic technologies. So I guess your conclusion is we've got a lot of work to do yet. So uh, thank you very much, Anders. And on behalf of the community, we thank you for uh, giving us such a comprehensive presentation. Uh, thank you. And the recording for today's session will be available in a few hours. Okay, thanks for having me. Yep. Thank you. Thank you, thank you very okay. much. All right, thank, thank you. you. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.